Well, as has already been said before, but I would be remiss if I didn't as well. Happy Austin Pride. I've been thinking about Vox's journey and how it intersects with my own journey, um, as I think probably many of you know, but maybe not all. My own journey of coming out as a gay man has been happening, particularly over the last 18 months. And this week I went back and looked at uh, the last homily I gave at the church that I was a part of in San Antonio at the time. I was still mostly closeted publicly. I had decided that for me in my own journey, waiting until I moved to Austin and started here at Vox was the right timing to really begin to spread that news more broadly. Uh, and yet I was wanting to somehow, even if kind of cryptically, talk about or acknowledge um, that though it wasn't the only reason I was leaving that church or San Antonio, that. Uh, my sexual identity was a part of it, and uh, that church knew. You have not had experience of it as much, but just about every other sermon I did either had Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse or a Dear Evan Hansen song in it. That was just pretty much... Faith is here from uh, my pr previous church, and she could attest to that. If you ask her afterwards, she'll let you know. That was very true. And I was... I decided to end... Uh, my homily at my previous church by singing some of the lyrics from a song called Words Fell by Dear Evan Hansen. If you've seen that musical, you know that uh, Evan has felt marginalized, the titular character. Uh, he begins at first kind of accidentally, but he goes with it, weaving more and more fiction because he sees that the narrative that is being woven about his life uh, is helping him to get by. It seems to be promising him all the things that he's wanted. But at this song, Words Fell, is the time when he's finally acknowledging, I can't keep living in this fiction. This thing that had once served me so well is now hindering me and hampering my life. He says, this was just a sad invention. It wasn't real, I know. But we were happy. I guess I couldn't let that go. I guess I couldn't give that up. I guess I wanted to believe. Because if I just believe, then I don't have to see what's really there. I remember singing those lyrics to my church. <laughs> and. And in some ways trying to say, that, that's me. I, I, I'm, I'm the one who, who feels like I'm having to, to give something up. And I thought that maybe perhaps if, if I could just believe hard enough, if I could lean hard enough into this fiction of my life, that somehow I would be able to make it real. And yet it more and more felt ill-fitting and false to my life. At the very end of that same song, Evan Ig acknowledges that it's time to stop living under this oppression, that no matter how hard and challenging it may be for him, he needs to step into his truth, to live from his more authentic self. He says, will I just keep on running away from what is true? All I ever do is run.
So how do I step in? Step into the sun. And if you've seen the musical, you know that most of it is very dark. There's kind of these social media screens that are flashing around, but most of the stage throughout the musical is dark. And towards the end of it, for the very first time, the entire stage lights up. You begin to see all of a sudden that as he is owning his truth, as he is stepping out of these lies and falsehoods about himself, out of this fiction and this place that, yes, he has been a co-participant in, but also uh, that others have sort of ushered him in town, this narrative of his life, that this is, for the first time, a fresh start at beginning to live more authentically and fully. I wanted to share with us at the beginning, as I thought about myself about a little over a year ago, and as I think about all of us and what it means for the queer community in relationship to the church, a relationship that is often fraught and challenging, I was encouraged by Jay Hume, a self-described poet, church explorer, and general nuisance, and unapologetically trans, shares these beatitudes for a queer church that point to the way we can transform our understanding of our identity. You see, there's a lyric that I didn't sing to my old church that Evan does sing that talks about feeling so ashamed of his brokenness and his messy life. And for many of us who identify as queer, uh, there's a time, there's a season where the gift that God has given us of our unique queer selves can seem perhaps to us. We can believe the lie that it is some sense of brokenness or messiness. And I love this blessing that Jay gives us that reminds us of the beauty and the gift. Blessed are the outcast, the ostracized, the outsiders. Blessed are the scared, the scarred, the silent. Blessed are the broken, for they are not broken. Blessed are the hated, for they are not worthy of hate. Blessed are those who try, those who transform, who transition. Blessed are the closeted. God sees you shine anyway. Blessed are the queers who love creation enough to live the truth of it, despite a world that tells them they cannot. And blessed are those who believe themselves unworthy of blessing. What inconceivable wonders you hold. An invitation to receive, to claim your own blessedness. It's a reminder from our passage in Jeremiah that God and God's own mothering womb formed us and knew us and births us into the world with purpose, with joy, for how we are going to be a part of God's incredible mosaic tapestry, bringing beauty and hope and justice into the world. In our gospel story in Luke chapter 13, we read in verse 11, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over 
and was quite unable to stand up straight. In Ephesians, spiritual forces are listed among the rulers, the authorities, and the cosmic powers. These are big structural systemic forces. And in this verse, though we don't exactly know what Luke is getting at in his gospel, he implies there is this spirit that might be connected to some of these systems of oppression, these cosmic powers that is hurting her, that is crippling this woman. And whether that is what Luke's gospel has in mind, at the very least we can see that there is a spirituality that might proclaim freedom but pushes down on its practitioners. Perhaps she inhabited a spirituality that she was given from her community that promised liberation, but left her languishing in chains. There is this spirit that is on her. We will see it even in the religious leaders of her very own community who would prefer to keep her chained. And yet Jesus is there for her liberation. Many of us have known what it feels to be bent down, to be compressed. I remember talking to Wei and Harmon as I was coming on staff, and they were asking what I thought some of the differences might be between my life in San Antonio and my life here in Austin. And I remember sharing with them, I, I just feel like I've been ready to unfold my life, that for so long, I've just been holding everything in, and I can't wait to breathe, to relax, to allow the goodness of who God has created me to be, to shine. And many of you know that same joy, that same freedom. I think you're celebrating not only me in that, but in different ways, whether in your own journey as a queer person or in other parts of your life where you have known oppression, you've experienced what it's like to step in to the sun, to find that liberating freedom that God intends for us. Shannon Kearns, the first openly trans man ordained into the old Catholic priesthood, reminds us in his book, In the Margins, how God meets us in our vulnerability. This woman had been waiting for 18 long years. And so Shannon Kearns says, we resonate strongly with a God who knows what it is like to be powerless and vulnerable. A God who knows what it's like to wait. A God who needs to be resurrected. I resonate with the God who understands what it's like to have the people who are closest to you run away in your time of need. I want a God who knows what it's like to have to face your hardest moments alone and without access to resources. A God who knows what it's like to be in the tomb for a while. This woman had been waiting whether you are still in a process of discerning your own gender or sexual identity or in some other area where you perhaps have become marginalized or oppressed, we all have those areas in our life where we have been waiting. Pseudo-Aristotle, I didn't even know that was a thing, but as I was reading through commentaries, apparently there's a pseudo-Aristotle. Uh, in antiquity, said this in terms of talking about backs and how that relates to our character. Those whose back is very large and strong are of strong character 
witness the male. Those which have a narrow, weak back are feeble. Witness the female. This was the narrative that was happening in antiquity, and perhaps though we don't think of backs per se, um, is still a narrative that can be all too prevalent in society today that can bind us, that can bend us down, that can try to make us small and keep us in our places. And Luke's gospel talks about this woman who is doubly bent down. She is this exaggeration, perhaps, of this type of oppression, of being told to be smaller and to keep things sucked in and buttoned up and to know your place. And after 18 long years, she is ready for liberation. Verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you are set free from your ailment. Jesus sees this woman. This is not, there are some stories in the gospel where there are people who are like, hey, Jesus, over here, it's me. Don't forget about me. This is not what we see here. Jesus sees her in her oppression. Jesus sees her in her confinement. And Jesus calls out to her. Perhaps after 18 long years, she had got tired of believing that God gave her crap about her life and that anything was going to come that could bring any type of liberation or change, that there would be anyone who would join with her in her plight. And yet Jesus sees her and calls her and sets her free. Henry Nouwen, a beloved Catholic priest who, though under a vow of celibacy, acknowledged to his closest friends that he was gay, shares these haunting words in 1991 in his book, Life of the Beloved, when our world was still on fire from the AIDS epidemic. He says, the AIDS epidemic is probably one of the most telling symptoms of our contemporary brokenness. Their love and death cling to each other in a violent embrace. Young people desperate to find intimacy and communion risk their very lives for it. It seems that there is a cry reverberating through large empty spaces of our society. It is better to die than to live in constant loneliness. Seeing AIDS patients die and seeing the spontaneous generosity with which their friends form community to support them with affection and material and spiritual help, I often wonder if this horrendous illness is not a clear summons to conversion directed to a world doomed by competition, rivalry, and ever-increasing isolation. Henri Nouwen looked at the AIDS epidemic and he did not condemn his queer siblings, but instead condemned a culture, a politic, a religion that would look at people languishing in pain and would only be about its own self-interest, ever isolating, ever taking care of its own power and control. And he says that is corrupt. It is condemned. It is no longer the way it never, ever really was. Verse 13, when Jesus had laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. Now, the Greek word that is used here for praising 
God is all about glory and glorifying. So it may have been that she picked up an instrument or that she chose to find her voice and sing, but I would like to choose to believe that just as she straightened up, as she claimed her own sacred ground and voice and identity in the community, that that itself was the way that she glorified God. You might remember the quote from St. Irenaeus, Irenaeus of Lyon, the glory of God is humankind fully alive. And so she is. She straightens up. We are all invited by Jesus to stand our sacred ground, to straighten up, to claim our place. For my queer siblings, it is not just that we are welcomed at the table, but we have gifts that God's global and beloved community desperately need, stuck in binaries and outmoded ways of seeing. We have gifts that say there are a multitude and a myriad of beautiful ways to understand ourselves and our place in the world and how we can move forward together in solidarity. Polly Murray, and if you haven't seen the film, okay, we got some love over here for her. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Polly Murray reminds us that true community is based on equality, mutuality, and reciprocity. It affirms the richness of individual diversity as well as the common human ties that bind us together. There is a documentary uh, called My Name is Polly Murray, and if you haven't seen it, I would highly commend it to you. And I think for this woman, it was for the first time that she was invited out of isolation, out of loneliness, out of a spirituality that was only about her and into a larger story, into a community with Jesus that would be in solidarity with her and that would partner with her for her own liberation that she began to experience this. It reminds me of something that Bayard Rustin, the architect of the 1963 Civil Rights March on Washington once said when he was asked about what he would recommend to the queer community and to the queer community's allies, he said, try to build coalitions of people for the elimination of all injustice. He knew that alone and isolated and on our own, we will not get very far, but together God can do immeasurably more through all of us. Verse 14, but the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. You notice he's not talking to the woman or to Jesus in this text. He's just saying to the crowd, kind of going around and mumbling, leaving little comments here and there, little posts, little emojis. They're like, what do you do with that emoji? I, I was saying something and you put a sad face. Does that mean you're sad that I was oppressed or you're sad that I'm finding freedom? I, I don't really know what to make of that. Um, this religious community that she has been malformed in is spreading seeds for her reincarceration. Is taking Sabbath, this gift from God that was rooted 
in Exodus and the fact that we are created in the image of God. So if God needs to rest, so should we. And in Deuteronomy, and that if we are liberated from oppression and slavery, then we also should be freed and liberated and twisting it in a way to keep her in her place. The poet Audre Lorde talks about all the complexities of navigating multiple identities and how some people can perhaps be lulled into a place of believing that they are for liberation when perhaps still participating in others' oppression. In the poem, Who Said It Was Simple, it goes, There are so many roots to the tree of anger that sometimes the branches shatter before they bear. Sitting in Nedix, the women rally before they march, discussing the problematic girls they hire to make them free. An almost white counterman passes a waiting brother to serve them first, and the ladies neither notice nor reject the slighter pleasures of their slavery. But I, who am bound by my mirror as well as my bed, see causes in color as well as sex, and sitting here wondering which me will survive all these liberations. This religious leader believes he is on the side of freedom and liberty and abundant life, and yet he is a co-participant in slavery, oppressing this woman. And it invites us to consider the ways, perhaps unconsciously, not directly, that we too might be asleep to the ways we participate in other people's oppression. Finally, Jesus says, And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? This is the only place in the Christian Testament where someone is called a daughter of Abraham. Jesus names her in a particular way. You've not really had a category of understanding and recognizing the beauty, the gift of her life, of the miracle of her story, and all that she could be contributing to the community. So I'm going to remind you that this is a daughter of Abraham and that our story is one that involves her her liberation, her freedom, her wholeness. It invites her to the table and to bring her gifts to the table to enrich this community. She must be set free. We're going to have a resource that we'll make available on our website uh, and we'll also probably link through the podcast uh, that's going to have all kinds of resources about ways you can consider what it would look like to stand up and in solidarity with the queer community. I want to thank Amy Wolfgang uh, for their great work in putting that together. And as we reflect on what it means to stand up in solidarity for each and every one of us, the next step in that is, I'm sure, deeply personal. But I hope that you can sense Jesus seeing you and calling your name and telling you that you are set free 
and inviting your freedom to be one that participates in solidarity with the freedom of others. That you can explore purposefully and creatively what that looks like in the coming week. I want to leave us, or close this time, with a prayer from Reverend Teresa Soto. Creator, call your people to this place. Remind them that love is more than saying. Love is being and doing. This government may try to find ways to outlaw our existence. Help us to lift up that higher law. The truth that each and all of us exist as a complete expression of humanity. And help us both to heal and to rise, a people marked by difference but chosen by ourselves and each other to be known, to be recognized, beloved, and belonging. Amen.